Amen. Thank you, church. Nehemiah 1 is where we are. And uh, just to kind of give you, um, we're calling this series Rise Up and Build. And a couple of disclaimers. First of all, we, we typically preach through, we don't always, we'll, we'll take breaks and different things like that. But our primary strategy in preaching God's Word is that we'll pick a book of the Bible and preach through that book. If you've been around this church for the last year and a half, you know that well because you are thankful that we finally finished the book of Acts. And, uh, and, uh, and, but, but that's what we do. We preach through books of the Bible like that. And, and I think it serves our church with a lot of positives and and some of those are this uh one is we preach the whole counsel of god's word that way you know i think the temptation for me and any pastor would be if i didn't preach that way to just preach the things that i want to preach when i want to preach them which you know the things that i'm passionate about or the things that i you know i would get really excited about or the things that i think would be great for you know everyone to hear instead of preaching every bit of God's word or the whole counsel of God's word and so so it keeps me from just having certain hobby horses and and preaching those right it also forces uh, us to preach through texts that a lot of honestly churches and pastors just skip over they're just too difficult they're hard uh that the, the, they may be uh uh, just confusing passages or things that take a lot of work to, to navigate through. Uh, we, we preach through those and uh, we, we believe that's for our good and it, it, it will cause us to do weird things. Even in this book, you'll see we'll hit chapters that are just basically large chunks of names and we're going to preach through it. Now, I may not read all those names. But we're going to preach through the text and, uh, and I think God has great things for us in those in those texts they're in the bible for a reason and, and so you'll see some of that as we go but we don't skip over hard things um, because we think they're for our good and for the health of uh, of the church and, and so that's why we kind of do this strategy and 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 uh, w- you know we believe also i believe that it is best for teaching us the whole of the bible and by that i mean there's a grand narrative in the bible and if, if i just came up here with topical things like Whatever I, I want to give examples, but if I just came over with topical things and preached these few verses, these few verses, these few verses, it's really not going to give us a great kind of backdrop on the context of the Bible. And, and, and the Bible certainly is applicable to us today, but it's far more applicable when we lay it on the backdrop of, of who it was actually written to and, and the time frame in which it was written. And so we get to examine a lot of those things, and we'll examine some of those things today as well now the series is called rise up and build now i'm gonna uh, my second disclaimer to you is this you know i announced last week that we are for the first time in like 15 years i guess uh 16 17 years we are debt free as a church uh now some of you are thinking okay yeah praise god praise god yeah uh, and now some of you are thinking, oh, great, we're now doing a series called Rise Up and Build. We're going to do some kind of building campaign. And, and uh, now that we're debt free, that's not what this is, okay? Uh, you know, uh, we're, not, we're not entering into a building campaign. We're, you know, Rise Up and Build is, is based off of Nehemiah 2. The premise of Nehemiah is that the, uh, he's going to rally God's people to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. And so that's what we're talking about. By all means, if you want to give to our buildings, we've got a 70 year old building that needs some TLC we'd love we'll take that but uh but that's not what this is about all right uh so I just want to make that clear now diving in now I want to make some assumptions here 
before we get into the first few verses. Uh, my, my primary assumption is that if you are a believer, if you've trusted in Christ with your life, that you desire for God to use you, that, that you have a desire to, to have your life count for something other than yourself, that you have the desire that your life would count for the mission of God, for God's glory among the nations, that, that you want and desire for, for, for God to use you. That, that, that's an assumption I, I'm going to preach from today. Now, now, now I know many, there may be some of you in here that aren't yet believers, and I'm thankful you're here. I invite you to keep coming back to hear the gospel. And what I mean by that, by, by, by the difference between a believer and a non-believer, is simply that those who have uh, believed in Christ. They have trusted in Jesus and Jesus alone for their salvation. That, that, that we believe that the only way for us to be allowed entrance into heaven is to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Anybody in here meet that criteria in your own power? I know I don't. I don't meet that criteria. We're not perfect. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so we need a substitute. That substitute is Christ and Christ alone. So those who have believed have put their faith and trust in Jesus, and, and, and in so doing, he paid the price for our sin on the cross and, and, and then gave to us his own righteousness. And so we, those who have believed and put their faith and trust in Christ alone, stand as a people covered in Christ's righteousness, and that righteousness is perfect. It is blameless. And so that's what allows us entrance into heaven in the presence of a perfect God forever. We don't depend upon our own good works. We don't, we don't depend upon our own morality. We don't depend upon our grandmama's faith. We, we don't depend upon anything in our own power. We only are trusting in Christ to meet all our needs of, of, of being made right before God forever. And so that's what we mean by believers versus non-believers. If you are a non-believer in here, again, I'm glad you're here. I want you to keep coming back and hear the gospel. But the difference is, is that you are depending on something other than Christ for your own righteousness and for your own eternal standing before God. And this is pretty common in our culture. It's so prevalent in our culture to have people just growing up in, our, in, in whatever background you grew up in thinking that you're going to get to heaven because you're a decent human being. And I, and I want to be very clear with you that being a decent human being is not good enough. It's not good enough. And there will be a lot of decent human beings who spend eternity away from God forever in hell, in judgment. It, being a decent human being is not what gets us right standing before God. The only thing that makes us right before God is being found in Christ. And that happens through putting our faith and trust in Him. So, now back to, what I, back to the deal here. My assumption is that if you are a believer that you have a desire, that you want to be used of God, that, that you, you want your life to matter for eternal things, that you want to get to heaven one day and hear God say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, we're not, we're not working to get into heaven, but, but we want our lives to count to the glory of God all of our days. And, and so the assumption is that we want to do that. And so, so with that assumption, we're going to look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah 
we're going to learn a lot of things from him. A lot of people use this passage in this book to talk about how great of a leader he was and leadership principles, which there are certainly going to be some of that. Uh, but also, I want to, particularly today, we're going to see Nehemiah's heart for the Lord. So I don't just want us to walk out of here being better leaders. I want us to walk out of here knowing Christ better, honoring God with our lives more. Uh, we're also going to see that Nehemiah wasn't perfect. We're going to get to the end of the chapter and watch him pull people's hair out because they're disobedient to what he was calling them to do. Um, I tried to implement that here, you know, uh, but uh, I tried it on Keith, and that's what happened to Keith. And uh, I, I kid, I kid. Uh, but, but we're going to see Nehemiah had some flaws, right? And, and you're, you're pulling people's hair out. It's probably not the best leadership strategy. And, and so we're going to see some of that. But ultimately, what I want us to get is, is a greater appreciation for God and, and, and a greater heart that, that would turn to him um, and be more dependent upon him. So, so let's dive in. Uh, verse 1, and I'm going to stop after verse 3 for a moment to talk about the context. It says this the, uh, in verse 1, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakala, now it happened in the month of Shizlev, in the twelfth year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had, uh, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall... <laughs> The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. All right, let's stop for a minute because you might have just blanked out on me. Now, let me, let me give you some context here. Okay, so Nehemiah is uh, in Susa and he's, he's we'll, we'll see in a moment that he's serving in, 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 the, in the kingdom. He's, he's serving as cupbearer to King Xerxes, uh, uh, um, Xerxes, sorry. And, and so he's serving this king, he's cupbearer to the king, he's in the kingdom. Uh, and, and if you will remember in 586 B.C., uh, what Nebuchadnezzar came through and demolished all of Israel. And, uh, and he destroyed Jerusalem. He destroyed the walls of Jerusalem. He destroyed the temple. And he took back with him captives. And, and, and there was a remnant of, uh, of Jewish individuals that was left behind. But he, he, he took into exile uh, many of God's people. And, and that's where we get a lot of the book of Daniel, right? If you'll remember, uh, Daniel was taken captive. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was taken captive. Like, like, there was a lot of uh, Jewish um, individuals, Israelites, that were taken captive uh, into Babylon. And so so that's what you had happen. So, so, so Jerusalem for years was in ruins. And so, so we pick up with, with Nehemiah around the, the year 444 uh, B.C. And, and, and just previous to this, uh, I say just previous, 70 years previous to this, uh, they had gone back to rebuild the temple. Uh, and now the temple had been rebuilt and uh, just and, and, and Nehemiah and the book of Ezra really are closely connected. You can't, it, so we'll, we'll be referring to the book of Ezra several times as we study through Nehemiah. But if you were to look at Ezra 4, you're going to see that there was a, an attempt to go back, I think probably 13 years before this or so, 
and, and rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. But Artaxerxes said no. He put a stop to it. And, uh, and, and so that's kind of the setting you have where you, the temple's rebuilt. There's a remnant of Jews in Jerusalem. They tried to rebuild the temple, but it, it got, it got uh, squashed. And, and so now Nehemiah is in Susa and, 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 and serving as cupbearer to the king. His brother comes in to give report of what's happening in, in Judah. And his report said, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now, a couple of things here before we get into um, Nehemiah's response. This is probably not new news to Nehemiah, right? He, he's not, what? The walls are torn down? He's known that, that, that Nebuchadnezzar came through and destroyed uh, Jerusalem and, and the walls there and uh, that they haven't yet been built back. He probably knows that. It's not new news. But upon hearing the news, uh, God ignited in him a burden, a, a burden to be used of God, to bring God's people back to, to right worship of the one true God, to bring God's people back into a place of worship, uh, but, but also protection by rebuilding the walls of, of Jerusalem. And so if you know anything about kind of history, you know, in any context, walls were everything to a society. Uh, they were your protection. They, 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 you know, and, and so for now, what you have happening is the people of God uh, are living in fear. They can be attacked on all sides. Uh, they, 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 without having the walls as their protection, uh, they are, as, as um, the report said, they're in trouble and shame. Uh, and, and, and so this is what the, the burden that God puts on Nehemiah's heart. Now, let's look at his response in verse 4 through the end of the chapter. It says this, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, Look at this. We're going to come back to this. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly, uh, corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying that if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, I was cupbearer 
to the king. A couple of things that I want us to glean before, you know, next week we will get into chapter 2, which he, he will approach the king and ask the king for uh, his blessing to rebuild the walls. But today we see that, uh, first of all, that God uses those who have a God-given burden. Um, Nehemiah has been struck and burdened by the problem at hand. And, and, and notice um, th- that what he does you know because because certainly he realizes several things about jerusalem certainly he realizes that organizationally they they are weak they they don't have the organizational or the leadership skills to be able to rally their people to rebuild the walls he he gets that he also understands that there's a resource weakness here and 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 that, that 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 there's a problem they don't have the resources to be able to accomplish what what they want to accomplish but for nehemiah these aren't the greatest concerns the greatest concerns are spiritual concerns and God puts on his heart a burden so much so that his first action is not to start making plans not to start getting resources his first action is to go to God he says he wept and he mourned he fasted he continued fasting and he prayed now this is big for us because Here's how you know if you have a God-given burden on your heart by examining how you pray and what you pray for. Or I would be so bold that to say, if you even pray. You will be praying about what God has given you a burden for. And you've experienced this. Maybe you've got loved ones that you want that you're praying that they come to christ or or god has called you to some particular work that you you cry out to him to move and but here's the temptation for us in our particular context and culture we're so individualistic and and, and we're so uh, capitalistic that we see problems and we immediately start trying to fix those problems in our own power we say Oh, that's a problem. Okay, let's go fix it, which is not entirely wrong, not entirely sinful. Here's the problem, though, and here's where we kind of get sideways, is we often try to accomplish the work of God without God. We often try to do the things of God without God. And so we first have to be a people that come and cry out to God to move on behalf of the burden that he has given us. We, we have to be a people that say, okay, God, I, I, you are obviously working in me in a strong way. You're getting me to see the problem at hand, and, and you want me to accomplish that problem, but I don't want to just do it in my own resources. I don't want to do it in my own efforts and my own energy. I need you to do it because without you, it's just going to be in my own power, which is very weak. So I need you to do the supernatural work of whatever you're calling us to our first action when we experience a burden in our life should be to go to god it should be like like when we get our you know we, we get our knee hit and our, our we have our reflexes kick our leg out that should be what happens to us when we experience a problem or, or we see a burden that we should go to god but if you're like me, you, if you're kind of type A or, you, you know, there's a lot of people in here that are to-do to list kind of people, right? Uh, what we do is we get a burden, we immediately start making lists. Okay, well, here, we got to do this, we got to do this, we got to do this, which is, again, not a bad thing. 
However, we got to pause on that first and go to God and to say, we need you to work and move and we need you to fulfill the promises that you have made to us, your people. We, we need you to go before us, to, to, to soften hearts before us. We, we need you to do what only you can do. And then we don't presume to be able to do what you can do. We need you to do, God, what only you can do. And this is what a burdened heart looks like. What consumes your prayer life? What, what, do you, what do you go to God and wrestle with God over? These are the things that, uh, you, the, the burdens that you've, you know you've been given a God-given burden if it's something that consumes your prayer life. The second thing I want us to see here is a God-given burden understands the heart of the issue which the, the, the heart of the, the turmoil and the issues and the problems of our lives and the world is sin. Uh, I think Nehemiah was realistic in, in, in calling out the real issue at hand. He, he, he's, he's, he's confessing sin, and, and, and he, he realizes that, again, the problem is not lack of organization. The problem is not lack of resources. The problem is that the people of God have been scattered because they disobeyed and rebelled against God. And in order for them to be restored, it's going to take a, a, a confession of that sin and for God to restore relationship with His people. And so many of our problems are rooted in sin. Look at, look at what he prays. He says, Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We, acted, we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant. I think the Bible is very clear that the root of all of our issues, personal and global, is it's sin, the reason that we have wars and terrorist takeovers is because of sin. The reason that we have earthquakes and famines and diseases is because of sin. You, you, my greatest argument for why that is is because these things will not exist in heaven. You know why? Because sin is not there. And so these diseases, these earthquakes, these terrorist takeovers... The, it's because of sin. The root problem is, is sin. Why are governments and businesses riddled with greed and corruption? Because of sin. Why, even in the church, is, is the mission of, of the church not being fulfilled? It's because of sin. I and mean, we can even get on a personal level. I mean, practically speaking, the reason that we have issues in our marriages reason we fight in our marriages james says the reason why you have quarreling among you is because of sin it's because of sin and so often what we want to do is we want to pretend we have no sin but i want to remind you of first john that teaches us that if we say we have no sin we are a liar and the truth is not in us so for us pragmatically the first thing that we should do in coming to god to be used of god is to admit to god that we aren't perfect so often we, we we do one of two things or maybe both of these things we want to make sure everybody around us thinks we're awesome and we've got everything together and 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 we don't sin and we've got no problems and and we're just the perfect church people 
That's a lie. We are all walking the road of being more like Jesus. It's called progressive sanctification, which means not one of us is there yet. So for any of us to claim that we are there yet is just foolish. The second thing we try to do is not only do we try to fool the people around us, but here's where it gets probably more so dangerous, is we try to fool God into thinking that we're good. And we say, no, you know, we don't really need you to accomplish your work. Well, we don't really need to get things that to get on a spiritual level and begin the, the sanctifying work of seeing our hearts be purified and, and, and walk the road of, a, of recovery or, or, or walk the road of, hey, I, I've got to deal with sin issues in me, and that's not fun. It's going to cause me to have to seek repentance before God, maybe seek forgiveness of someone I've hurt. It's, it's, it's going to take work to, to, to step into walking that road of sanctification. And, uh, and, and realizing that our root issue is sin. And this, this happens in a lot of marriages I see is that, that, that we come to marriages and, and we, again, we, we begin to say, well, let's not deal with my sin. Let's deal with all of your sin, right? And, and instead of coming together and saying, we are just two sinners dragging behind us a load of baggage uh, that, that we brought from childhood and past and hurts and maybe past relationships that we're bringing this baggage in this marriage and, and so what we need to do first of all is we need to put it on the table and say oh God I am a sinner I confess my sin both to you and to my spouse or any relationship that you're in and realizing that first and foremost that we, we, we are not perfect we worship the one that is, but we're not that. And so, so to begin to realize the problems in our world in right perspective, we need to understand that, that they are all caused because of sin. Whatever the problem is, it roots back to sin. Whatever shortcoming we have or hatred in our heart or greed or, or corruption or, 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 or short temper, it comes back to sin. And we as the people of God, again, I'm making some assumptions here. We want to be used of God. If we want to be used of God, then we have to be straight up with God. We have to be authentic with the people in our lives. We, going around, pretending like nothing, we have no issues, um, is counterproductive to being used of God. And I've, I've preached this before, but it, we're also in danger of preaching a false gospel. If we just pre pretend like we've got it all together and we're not dependent upon Christ to move in our life, we're preaching a gospel that says, hey, you can get your act together too if you would just do all the things that I'm doing. Instead of having a heart that says, hey, but by God's grace, I, I would be the worst of sinners. And the only reason that there's any good in me is because of Him. And I'm still a work in progress. By all means, we are all still a work in progress. And so we have to realize and come to grips with the understanding that sin is the root of our problem. We need to be aware of that, and we need to begin just confessing that to God. And, and, and here's the other thing about this, and I'll move on from this point. For the Christian, uh, an arrogant Christian, that's an oxymoron. 
We aren't a people that, that sit on a soapbox and, and, and begin to say, you know, Jesus loves me more than you because the bad things that you do. Right? No, no, we're people that say, hey, listen, um, yes, you are sinners and you're far from God, and so was I. And if it were for God's mercy and grace on my life, then, then I would still be separated from him. I'm only found right in him because he has brought me near to him, and he can do that for you as well. But you have to understand that the root of all of your issues is that you are separated from God because of your sin. And the problems in our life cause separation and division and turmoil because of our own sin. And so we come as a people and say, yes, I mean, we're not perfect. We come with humility to the world and we say, listen, there's a way out from sin. God has opened my eyes to be able to see it. That's not a point of arrogance. It, 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 it's, an, it's an invitation for you to come. Come and drink from, the, from living water. Come and experience Christ. Taste and see that he is good. Come. And so we, uh, far from all people, should, should be arrogant. We should be a humble people. Thirdly, a God-given burden models the heart of God. And I'm going to try to get to this point a little quickly, but you see at the beginning, he says, O Lord, o, uh, o Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So he's addressing God and he's, he's giving glory to who God is. And then he begins to kind of remind God of the promises. And I don't think he's reminding God as much as he's claiming them for his people and reminding himself of the promises of God because he, 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 he talks about you have scattered your people to the remotest parts of the world because of their disobedience and you have promised that if we will turn our hearts back to you that you will gather them back in from the most remote places back to worship the one true God and then you see the prayer in 10 where it says <coughs> they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand there's five times in this verse it's like you or your nehemiah is saying these are your people it's going to be you that brings them back i can't do it they're your don't forget your people it's telling god that if you don't move nothing will happen if you don't move they won't be gathered back to worship the one true god you have to move in power and 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 so uh what Nehemiah here do, is, is doing is he's, he's coming alongside of God and he's echoing what God cares about. And for us, if we have a God-given burden, what, what it requires of us is a heart that is, is passionate about what God's heart is passionate about. Now, particularly, here's what God's heart is passionate about. God is primarily passionate about his glory being being put on display him being glorified in all of his creation so for us if we're going to come alongside and, and model the heart of god then our primary passion for our life is not the well-being of humans it's not the, the helping of a culture or society our primary goal is for god to be glorified in all his creation as he has created them to do so what we do, even in evangelism, even in missions, our passion and our desire is to see those that he has created in his image do what they were created to do, namely give God the glory that he deserves. So our primary passion is not so people don't go to hell. 
Our primary passion is not to help cultures. Our primary passion and, 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 and goal is to see God glorified among all of his creation. We, we, we pray the, the prayer of Habakkuk, the, the, the verse in Habakkuk that talks about, we desire to see the glory of God cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. God is worthy of worship simply because he is God. I could give you a list of things he's done in our lives to also be worthy of worship, but if we had none of those, he would still be worthy of worship because of who he is. He is God, and he is worthy of our honor, adoration, and praise. He's worthy of our entire lives. He's made you. He's created you. He's formed you in his image. He knits you together in your mother's womb. And he designed you and made us all for his glory and the worship of his name. And so for a people that have a God-given burden, we come alongside the, the same heart as God. We want what he wants. We want what he wants. And what he primarily wants. And what is best for us, and that's a whole other sermon, but what is best for us is to glorify God with our lives. That's what's best for us. So we come alongside. Now, it, 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 we also should have a burden uh, for lost people. I'm not just saying you, we're insensitive to lost people. You glorify God or you're going to hell. You know, I don't know. But we, we have a burden for lost people. We, we, we should continue to, to be burdened by God, to be used of him in the world. And, and, and one of the things, probably two reasons if you don't have a burden for God's glory among lost people coming to worship him. If you, if you don't have that burden, it's probably one of two reasons. One, you may not be converted. You may not be a Christian. Uh, if, if you don't care about what God cares about, you have to begin to honestly evaluate, does God reside in you? Does the Holy Spirit reside in you? Or two, you could be a born-again believer, yet you have grown so entangled by the comforts of the world that you've grown blind to the mission of God. In either of those cases, I would implore you to go and do what Nehemiah has done and seek the Lord. This isn't a burden I can guilt you into. You, you, if you don't have this burden and you're still looking at me as numb as ever, this is not something I can talk you into. This is God-given. And so you go and pray and ask God to give you a heart that cares about what He cares about. That you, He would give you a heart to see Him glorified uh, among the people in your workplace, among your family, uh, among the nations, that he would instill that in you. Lastly, as we close, a God-given burden requires sacrifice. The closing passage of chapter 1 is Nehemiah saying that he was cupbearer to the king. Now, cupbearer to the king <clears throat> was a pretty cush job. I mean, uh, he lived in a palace. He was in Susa. He he, uh, you know, his primary job was to taste the king's wine to make sure it wasn't poison. Now, that's a pretty good job unless it's poison. Uh, so there's risk-reward there. Uh, but, you know, he was, he was decked out in the palace clothes. He had a pretty comfortable life living. I mean, he, he had all, all, all the comforts that the, that the age could provide he had. 
Um, the cupbearer was probably a very handsome man. Um, typically, you wouldn't have servants uh, that were at every meal that were not pretty good looking. So I'd have been safe from that job, uh, you know. And uh, so, 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 so here's a guy, and he's also, you know, trained in court etiquette. Like he, he, he was intelligent, educated to a certain degree. Um, he had a cush job. He had a great job. He had all the comforts that he could want out of life. And then he catches word from his brother that Jerusalem is in, and Judah is in trouble and in shame because their walls are destroyed and have burned with fire. And all of a sudden, Nehemiah has an overwhelming burden to obey what God has called him to do regardless of what it costs him. And it costs him. Was it a costly sacrifice? Yeah. Yes and no, I would say. I would say, yeah, absolutely. I mean, to give up the comforts of the world, to, you know, to give up a cush lifestyle, to give up safety. He's going to go to Jerusalem, and he's going to have to battle opposition. We're going to see he's going to battle opposition from outside of the, the Israel camp. He's going to battle opposition from inside the Israel camp. He, he's going to get so upset he pulls people's hair out. I've already told you. I mean, he, he like, why, you know, in hindsight, you're looking back, you get to the end of the story, you're like, he could have just stayed in the kingdom. He could have just stayed drinking the king's wine. He could have had it easy. So yeah, there was some sacrifice, but I'd also say no. Because how great is the sacrifice if we give up the comforts of the world to obey Jesus? Is that really a cost that's not worth it? How great is the sacrifice to say no to the pleasures of the world and yes to obedience to God? That's, we would get to heaven and, and, and begin to lay our crowns at the feet of Christ and say unto him, it was no sacrifice at all. For greater is the reward of Christ. What great misery. What, what is the greatest misery to have the comforts of the world and be disobedient to Christ? So let us learn from Nehemiah that if God has called us to something and given us a God-given burden, that He is worthy of whatever obedience it costs us. And that our reward will be far greater than anything this world can offer us. Than anything our, our, our retirement accounts can offer us. Than anything our comforts can offer us. The reward will be greater. And so for us, church, my prayer for us is that we would be a people that go to God and say, God, we want our hearts to be passionate about what your heart is passionate about. And please, oh God, do not let us be entangled in the things of the world to the degree in which it would blind us to the mission of God. 
And that we would be a people that spend time on our face before God, asking Him to move on our behalf. Weeping. Fasting. Mourning. Praying. That God would move and that the burden that He has given us, He would use us to accomplish. And no matter what life stage you are in, I pray that God would continue to to press in on your heart to not waste your life. If you're young, it can be so easy for us to get trapped into what is the American dream and not first consider what God may be calling us to whether that's how we're using our job to the glory of God, how we're stewarding our families to the glory of God, how we're using our resources to the glory of God, or, or quite possibly, where are we supposed to go for the glory of God? If you're older, I would say don't waste your retirement. You have days left on this planet to be used for the glory of God. And so I would implore you to pray the same things. God, how can I use what you have given me to the glory of God? How can I use the days that I have left to go in the context that you want me to go in, whether it's to my neighbor or to the nations? How, God, can I be used of you with the days that I have left? Maybe you're in here and you have children that are still in your home. I would pray that you would pray that God would use them to his own glory. You know what that may mean? That may mean you have to actually let them go. You have to let them go. That as the scripture says that they are arrows that we fire into the heart of the enemy. Are you training your children up to be people that spend their lives to the glory of God? Let us be a church that takes God seriously. And let us be a church that, as Nehemiah did, falls on our face before our God, gives Him the worship He deserves, and asks Him to use us for His glory in all the earth. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you and we, uh, <clears throat> we just confess that, uh, you know, I just, just I, I was particularly, <clears throat> particularly moved this week by stories of our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan who have certainly counted the cost and have said that you are worthy of it all. Even if it costs them their own lives, you are worthy that and father I, I just to be truthful I, I, I envy some of their intimacy with you and so father I know for us it's so easy for us to uh, be distracted just in it's all the things we got to do all the things we do for our work or our family or extracurricular or kids' school or whatever we've got to do, that we grow numb to the burden that you have placed on our hearts.
And I pray that you would revive that again in us. And Father, that we would not be content to live out our days for our own kingdoms, our own comforts, and our own glory, but we would say we want our lives to count for the glory of God in whatever you call us to. So, Father, would you move us? Would you mobilize us? Would you motivate us to be a people that proclaim Christ and live our days to your glory? Father, if there's someone in here or watching online that has not trusted you as Savior, uh, they, they could have heard um, a lot of do better, be better. I pray that you would not distract them from what is the true gospel, which is not doing better, but knowing the one who did all we needed, namely Jesus Christ. So I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them, that they would lay down all their efforts and trust in Christ who's paid it all. And Father, for the believer, I pray overwhelmingly that you would help us to understand and realize and live out that you are worthy of it all and there is no one better than you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, thank you so much.